don't remember asking you a goddamn thing. Bring out your dick! If I may be so blunt, who gives a shit? By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Alrighty then, hello, 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 and welcome back. This is Storytime, and I am GamerDude. Glad to have you here for another episode of Stories. Today's stories, we're going back to one of my favorite topics, the movies. You know that I love the movies. We talk about movies all the time in the stream. I've done episodes about the movies before. I grew up loving movies. I grew up watching movies. I grew up wanting to be in the movies. I loved movies. I loved actors. I loved action. I loved story. It was just a great thing for me to experience whenever I went to the movies, whether it was at a drive-in with the family or to the dollar theater up in the nearby town or when they started coming out with the big Dolby sound systems and the great movies and the big cinemas as they revamped theaters in the 70s and the 80s. Oh, it was quite an experience, and I loved every opportunity to go to the movies. What I want to talk about today, though, is not the new movies, not the classic blockbusters that we see, not the superhero movies, but we were talking about this in my Twitch stream the other night. The classic movies that I think are important that everybody be aware of and maybe go take a look at. Because I realize, yeah, I'm an older dude, just a couple of years older than some of you. Just a couple. But I've seen movies for years. And there are some classic movies that I know that folks younger than me don't bother going to look for, for whatever reason. You know, you're looking at the stuff that you're familiar with, that you grew up with, that you heard about through your parents. Well, not everybody saw the movies that I saw because I was watching movies that my parents liked because when I grew up, as I said, movies were on TV all of the time. They had the afternoon movie and the evening movie and the syndicated stations always ran movies. So you could find all kinds of movies all of the time. And there are some classics that I wanted to point out to you guys. So that you could enjoy movies that you might not otherwise take a look at that I really think are worth your time. Now, I'm going to talk about 10 movies today that, to me, are very important movies that you should really take a look at. I don't mean they're important in the sense that these are the greatest movies of all time and you must watch them. They're just really well done movies for a variety of reasons, whether it's the comedy or the drama or the story or the action or whatever it is. I just think they're good movies and they're worth your while. The other thing that I want to talk about today is some overused movie tropes. Now, for those who don't know, a movie trope is one of those themes or devices or those things that they do in every movie that just makes you crazy. And I have 10 of those that I'm going to hit on today. Again, not the top 10. These are the 10 that occurred to me as I started thinking about it. And I just went boom, 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 pick the first 10 that popped up. Believe me, there are tons more tropes and we'll be doing other episodes about both great movies and bad tropes in the future. But that's what we're going to do this episode. 10 movies, 10 tropes. Okay, so first on the list of movies is the all-time classic. I grew up with this. It was on every year, like clockwork. It was an annual event. Every year, The Wizard of Oz showed up on TV. Yes, it's a corny story. Yes, it's a musical. Yes, it's got people in weird-looking costumes, the Tin Man and the Scarecrow and the Cowardly Lion, and it's just a good movie. I mean, it's, a, it's such a good movie. First of all, I love Judy Garland. I love her voice. I love the way she sings. Somewhere Over the Rainbow, as sung by Judy Garland, is one of the best songs ever, and she does such a good job with it. But put aside the music. The story is a great story. 
It's about friendship. It's about wanting something that you already have and don't realize it. And here's my story about The Wizard of Oz. As I said, I grew up watching The Wizard of Oz. It came on every year and we always watched it. And I always loved it. Whether it's Ray Bolger dancing or Judy Garland singing or the flying monkeys flying through the air and scaring the bejesus out of you. When I was a kid, those flying monkeys were so scary. Oh my God. Nowadays, they don't look so scary. But when I was a kid, oh, they were horrifying. So the story about The Wizard of Oz is this. I had my youngest son sit down and I was uh, watching it with him. He was about four years old at the time. And I remember being scared of these stupid flying monkeys. So I made sure to sit there and watch The Wizard of Oz with him. And I wanted to make sure he wasn't too scared about the flying monkeys. And we got through the part, spoiler alert, where they throw water on the witch and she melts. And I was all fine with that. We took care of all the scary parts. So I got up because I had to do some things in the kitchen. And I left my youngest son on the couch watching the, the rest of the movie by himself. I didn't think I was going to be gone that long, but I was gone a few moments longer than I thought. And I come back and he's in tears. He's in tears. And I thought, well, what, what happened? What did I forget? What's in the movie that made him so upset? And it was the part of the movie where Dorothy is getting ready to leave the scarecrow and the tin man and the cowardly lion and go back to Kansas. And what upset him most was the fact that she had to leave her friends. And I guess that's the message that I take from that movie is, Making friends and having to leave them sometimes is a part of life. And it took my four-year-old to bring that home to me because it upset him so much. It was so cute, but it was so powerful too. And that's one of the messages of The Wizard of Oz that I really like. Now we're going to change gears for the second movie that I think you really need to see. Find it on Netflix. Find it in a DVD bin at Walmart. Find it somewhere. If you've never seen Airplane, that is stupid humor at its best. Now, I agree, not everybody is going to like the humor in Airplane. It's an acquired taste. It absolutely is. It's stupid slapstick a la The Three Stooges. But it's also got some great wordplay in there, and it's got some just great funny scenes, and it spoofs the disaster movies of the 70s so perfectly. Now, if you want the movie, this isn't on the list, but if you want the movie that Airplane is really spawned from, you want to look for the old movie Airport. There was a series of movies in the 70s, Airport, Airport 75, Airport 77, and they were all airplane disaster movies of one kind or another. So Airplane was a spoof of all of these movies, but it's just a spoof in general of overly dramatic scenarios, and they do a really good job with it. As I said, it's stupid humor at its best. Number three on my list today is The Dirty Dozen. It's a World War II movie and one of the first movies that I ever saw with just what they used to call a cavalcade of stars. There's so many stars in this movie. There's Lee Marvin and Charles Bronson and John Cassavetes and Ernest Borgnine and George Kennedy and the list goes on and on. And those names may not mean a lot to you because these are the older movie stars from the 60s and the 70s and they go back to the 50s. But at the time this movie was made, which was sometime in the mid-60s, this was a huge cast. I mean, everybody was in it, and it was a big-time movie. They also introduced Jim Brown in that movie. He'd made other movies before, but Jim Brown is a football player who was a huge NFL star, and he had a big role in this movie. And I loved Jim Brown in this movie. It was a great movie, great cast, interesting story about a World War II mission, 
and just really well done. It's a huge movie. It's a long movie. But the action, the story, the character development, it's really well done. And I highly recommend it. As long as we're talking about World War II, there's another World War II movie, another great multi-star movie, The Great Escape. The Great Escape is based on a true story, and it's about a German prisoner of war camp and the soldiers who escape from it. And it's based, as I said, on a true story. And another blockbuster cast, James Garner and Steve McQueen at his best, and Richard Attenborough and Charles Bronson again, and the list there goes on and on. Stars upon stars, another long, epic World War II type adventure movie. Really, really good. If you haven't seen it, set aside two and a half hours and watch The Great Escape. It's really well done. Now, those are the action movies that I, that I really think you should take a look at. There's a couple comedies, too. And I've mentioned this one before, and I mention it over and over again because it's one of my all-time favorites. Some Like It Hot, Tony Curtis, Jack Lemmon, Marilyn Monroe. The top three, but so many other good stars in that. George Raft is in that one. And the humor is just good wordplay, good situations. It's a movie made in the 50s, set in the 20s, and it's just a really fun movie. I don't want to spoil anything for you. It's just really, really well done. Now, Jack Lemmon and Tony Curtis are also in one of my other favorite comedies from the 60s, The Great Race, another classic comedy that is well worth your time. Again, a really long movie. It's probably two and a half hours, but boy, it's so well done. It's it's another movie. I think this one was made in the 60s. This is set in the early 1900s, and it's about a car race. And you'd say, well, how funny is a car race? Well, it's a car race in the early 1900s from New York to Paris. So you can imagine everything that can happen as you're driving from New York west across the U.S. up through Alaska into Russia and having to drive through Paris. They really did a good job with that movie, too. And there is one of the classic pie scenes you've ever seen in any movie in the middle of the great race. Now you say, pie scenes? What's a pie scene? Well, back in the 50s and 60s, pie fights were just a thing. I don't know why. It was just a very funny thing to have a great pie fight in every movie, in every comedy. There seemed to be some comedic pie fight where people were throwing cream pies at each other and it was ha 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 hysterical. Well, the great pie fight in the great race is one of the most perfect pie fights you will ever see. So if nothing else, watch the movie to get to the pie fight. Now, as I was putting this list together, I did see, you know, there's, there's some connections between the stars because the last two movies that I mentioned have Jack Lemmon in them. Jack Lemmon is in another comedy that I love from the 60s. It's the movie version of The Odd Couple, which was originally a play on Broadway by Neil Simon, who, by the way, just recently passed. One of the greatest playwrights and screenplay writers around had just a great touch with dialogue and with scenes and with characters. The original Odd Couple is one of, one of if not the best, that he did. And this isn't the TV show, which had Jack Klugman and Tony Randall. That was a really good version of it, but it was all spun off from the movie, which came from the Broadway play. And the movie starred Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau as Felix Unger and Oscar Madison. And again, the dialogue is so spot on. It's believable. It sounds funny. The jokes just hit every single time. It's a really well done movie. And if you want to take a look at 60s comedy and just really smart dialogue, The Odd Couple is a perfect example of that. So that's seven. Number eight is a classic 
crime drama action picture from the 60s. This is Bullet. And again, tying all the actors together, Steve McQueen is in that one. He's the lead detective in it. Again, some other stars in there too, Robert Vaughn, for instance. But Steve McQueen carried this movie. I love this movie for one major sequence in it. Anybody who's seen it already knows what I'm going to be talking about. It's that car chase through the streets of San Francisco. One of the longest car chases you'll ever see in a movie, but so well done and so dramatic. But even if you skip the car chase, which don't, by the way, watch that. If you do nothing else, go on YouTube, find the car chase from Bullet. It's worth watching just for the action itself. But when you fit that car chase into the plot of the movie, it's a really well-plotted movie. The story is really good. I will give you a little bit of a warning on that one. It's a slower-paced movie. If you watch some of the movies from the 60s and the 70s, the pace is a bit slower. These days, we want, we want movies to move. We want action. We want it moving from scene to scene to scene. Six seconds and a cut. Seven seconds and a cut. The 60s and the 70s had movies that developed more slowly. And this is true, the 50s and the 40s and the 30s. A lot of the movies were very slowly developing. Now, there's a whole other genre of movies, noir movies, which we'll talk about at another time. Noir movies moved along. So they were kind of an exception to that rule of these slow plotting plots. Bullet isn't a plotting movie, but it's not an action movie. It's a dramatic movie. And it's a really good movie. Now, another movie from the 60s, that I really, really like. This is number nine on the list. What's Up, Doc? What's Up, Doc? stars Ryan O'Neill, who I really don't generally like, and Barbara Streisand, who I didn't always like. She's an amazing singer. I didn't always like her movies. But in What's Up, Doc? Boy, I fell in love with Barbara Streisand. There was just something about her in that movie. She was just super appealing. And Ryan O'Neill was actually charming. I usually found him off-putting, but in What's Up, Doc?, Ryan O'Neill was just a very charming, likable, cute, friendly, nice guy. I really liked him in that movie. And I can't say that about any other Ryan O'Neill movie I've ever watched. But he was really, really good in that movie. And the two of them together, the chemistry was almost palpable. Now again, What's Up, Doc? is a little slower paced than we're used to. But the comedy in that movie, the repartee between the players... The little twisty plot points in there. It's just a very fun, funny movie that I highly recommend. Now, this is number 10 on the list. And as I said at the beginning, this is by no means the definitive list. These are the top 10 movies that came to me off the top of my head when I was thinking about, well, let's see, what are the old movies that people aren't always familiar with? And as you can tell from the list, I like action and I like comedy. And the last one that came to me is a comedy. And again, it's Neil Simon. This one is called Barefoot in the Park. This stars a very young Robert Redford and a very young Jane Fonda as a young married couple in New York City. I like it for a lot of reasons. Number one, again, the chemistry is important. And between Robert Redford and Jane Fonda, the chemistry was so good. They made such a believable couple. And again, Neil Simon writing really good dialogue, very believable, really on point. And the setting a young married couple in a little walk-up apartment in New York City. It was really well done. And it just makes me laugh every time I see it. And I've seen it plenty of times because I like watching really good stories. Now, there's three or four movies that I was 
toying with adding to this list, but they're going to go into the next list, which will be another 10 movies we'll get to. But I don't want to overburden you. We've got 10. Let's start with those. Go with those 10 as the movies that you're going to look at first. Check them out. I mean, you may turn it off in the first 10 minutes, but trust me when I tell you, if you get through the first 10 minutes and say to yourself, I'm going to watch this, GamerDude recommended it, you will enjoy it. Really, I wouldn't lie to you. I'm also not going to lie to you about the things that bother me about movies. Now, what these are are the movie tropes. I told you about movie tropes. They're overused plot devices, essentially. Now, there are dozens and dozens of things that are repeated over and over and over again. And to me, it's a sign of lazy writing or a bored writer or somebody who's just not trying because they always pop up. We always talk about game logic in the stream. This is movie logic. A lot of the stuff that happens in movies, it just doesn't make sense, except that you're in a movie. And it happens in movies because it happens in movies. So these are the 10 things. Let me put it this way. These are the first 10 things that pop into my head when I think about the things that make me crazy about the movies. Now, Mrs. Gamer Dude and I will watch a movie, and it never fails to happen in an action movie these days. If you see a chase scene where somebody's running away, either out of fear or to escape the bad guys or to escape the good guys, they always run upstairs or they climb on the roof or they take an elevator up. Why? Why do you do that? Where are you going upstairs? You, you, are you going to jump off the building? Why are you running upstairs? Why wouldn't you run into the woods? Why don't you run into the sewer? Why don't you run down the crowded street? No, no, no. They run Upstairs, they climb a fire escape, they climb a ladder. It makes me crazy. It makes no logical sense to run upstairs to try to escape somebody chasing you. Run away! Then there's the parking spots. There's always a parking spot in a movie. Always, always, always. And it's always right in front of the building you need to go to. You never see the hero circling the block. You never see the hero having to parallel park. There's always a parking spot right in front of the building, and they never put a coin in the meter. Not a single time. There's always a parking spot. There's never a meter. Then when they get to the spot, they're going into the building. And it's not just a building they just parked in front of. It's any building. When they walk into a room, why doesn't anybody turn on the lights? They swing the door open. There's a pitch black room. And nobody flicks the light switch. Why is that? Why is that? Do people forget how light switches work? And when they enter the bad room, the dark room. They always announce their presence. Hello? Hello? Is anyone here? If you have concerns about a room and you're not turning the lights on for whatever reason, why are you announcing your presence? It makes me crazy when they do that. And then once they get in the room, let's suppose they have a flashlight with them. And it's not just the room. It's if you're walking through the park at night, if you're in a sewer, if you're in the haunted house, And you happen to have a flashlight? Why do the flashlights always need batteries all of a sudden? You've had a perfectly good flashlight. You turn it on. It's working fine. And then flicker, flicker. It starts to go out. What's up with that? Can't we just have a flashlight that works? All right. So let's get outside the building now. It's daytime now. We need a car. We're going to go find a car. We're going to borrow a car. We're going to steal a car. We're going to take a car. And we hop in the front seat. And what always happens? You flip the visor down. And the keys fall from the visor into your lap. How convenient. Do any of you put your car keys in the visor of the car? Have you ever? I've never done that. 
I've never known anybody to do that. Who puts keys in the visor to the car? Is it just me who thinks that's kind of crazy? Especially after seeing all the movies where people look for car keys and visors. I wouldn't do it now even if I ever did before. Who puts car keys in the visors? Seriously. And let's assume the driver wised up and doesn't put the car keys in the visor. So our hero goes in there and hotwires the car. Really? Do you know how to hotwire a car? I don't. Apparently, it's very easy. You reach under there, grab a couple wires, rub them together, and boom, the car starts. No matter how old the car is, no matter what year the movie is, it's super easy to hotwire cars. I'm surprised we don't have a raft of car thefts going on throughout the nation because it's apparently super easy to hotwire a car. Now, the other thing that bothers me in these hero movies is as you get to the end of the movies and the big gunfight scene starts up, machine guns never hit anything. Did you ever notice that? And apparently the bullets are easily avoidable because the hero will see the bad guy come out with a machine gun and then start sprinting down the road and the bullets just dance off the road in front of him or behind him, but never at him. And yet he turns around, fires off two shots with a pistol and boom, bad guy with a machine gun is dead because that makes sense. And speaking of bad guys with a machine gun, why do they never die? There's always that scene where everybody thinks the bad guy is dead. And all of a sudden, boom, up he pops. One more shot at the hero, which never goes well. The hero always has a gun handy. Think the end of Die Hard. All right, the bad guy is supposed to be dead, and he comes out of the building under the fireman's raincoat, ready to blow away John McClane, and he gets killed on the street by Officer Powell. I mean, why is that? I'm tired of that. I'm tired of the bad guy... Oh, yeah, he's not really dead. Ha ha. Now he is. And finally, this has nothing to do with cars or lights or heroes or machine guns. This is just one of those things that I've noticed over the years. In every movie and every TV show where people order Chinese takeout, it always comes in those traditional white containers. Everybody always grabs the container and a pair of chopsticks and starts eating out of a container. Who does that, really? I buy Chinese food, I take the container, I bring it to my house, I pour the stuff on a plate, and I eat it with a fork. Am I the only one? Does everybody eat Chinese food out of the container with chopsticks? And why do they order 17 containers of Chinese food? When I go to get Chinese food, I order one thing. Maybe an egg roll and a container of fried rice, and boom, I'm done. Who orders 17 containers of food for two people? It just makes no sense. And it makes me crazy. So, can you tell I've spent a little time watching movies in my life? Yeah, just a few minutes. I've seen one or two. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. I love movies, as I said at the beginning. But there are tropes that they overuse until it makes me crazy. And if I see the guy run upstairs to escape, it makes me nuts. It makes me believe that the writers aren't really trying. I mean, I know it's a movie, and I know I have to suspend my disbelief, but come on. Do a little work to make the chase scene a little more believable. I'd rather see the guy trying to escape through a shopping mall, darting in and out through the stores, diving over the counter at your local Cinnabon, rather than climb up on the roof and try to jump from building to building. I make better time running through JCPenney and hiding in the sporting goods department. I'm not climbing up on the roof to get away. I might dive into the dumpster and hide and hope everybody goes by. But that's just me. What do I know? I'm just a movie watcher. 
Anyway, that's going to do it for this episode of Storytime. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. I really do appreciate you taking the time to spend time with me, to share these memories, and to listen to my stories. It means the world to me, and I can't thank you enough. Until next time, you guys take it easy, and I'll see you when I see you.